Hello and welcome to episode 267 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And we're calling this episode It All Comes Together because really everything we're talking about does just that. The decor of a room comes together in Animal Crossing's new home, Happy Home Paradise DLC. Uh, friends come together around multiplayer N64 games, but now online because of Switch Online's expansion pass, uh, pack. That's so confusing, by the way. I always call it the expansion pass because that's what every game calls it. But Nintendo chose to call it pack, which is a tribute to the old controller pack and rumble pack. But then they spelled pack without the C. I mean, with the C, not just with the K. It's very, it messes with my head. But anyway, we have that. Um, we have, you know, your squad of Pikmin coming together as you walk in Pikmin Bloom. I, I'm pretty sure I can make any topic fit this theme, no matter how forced. Like, Kevin, you, you got impressions of Apex Legends, this, the new season, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, so here we go. I'm gonna make the theme fit. That, that has, um, Ash joining the roster, right? From Titanfall? Uh, yep. Uh. That's so it's Overwatch. Titanfall 2 fully coming together with Apex. See, I can literally do it for everything. I'm not saying these are good uses of the phrase. They objectively aren't. I just take pride in my ability to force it into anything. Um, it, it It's a talent, truly. Um, I don't know how you guys put up with it, to be honest. Like, it's it's not a good talent. Yeah, forcing things into things isn't usually something people are proud of. But Yeah, well, when you put it like that, it sounds a lot worse, Angel. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you but, angel. I feel like you're the but, root but of this. You, do you, you used to be the pun king. You used to be the pun guy, and then you sort of stepped back, and I sort of filled the void fivefold. Yeah, I realized moderation can be good. Yeah, I have no filter when it comes to puns. So it's it's bad because I feed off the like the the negative energy of it. Like the worse it is, the happier I am. But anyway, anyway, uh, we'll have timestamps on the blog post on roundtown.com for. Any of those individual topics should people want to hear those individual topics. But if you want the full effect of the episode title, uh, stick around for the whole show because it is also going to apply at a higher level to Nintendo as a whole in light of some stuff said and shown in their latest financial report, which we're also covering. Uh, it kind of adds up to almost like a phase two, if you will, of Nintendo's move into being like an IP, IP first company. Um, for now, though, enough foreshadowing. Let's just launch right into it with what we're playing because between all of us, there's a lot of gaming going on. Um, and to start, like, the big one from Nintendo of late is Animal Crossing. So, if you guys don't mind, I've been back on my island grind. I could talk about that a little bit right at the top here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been out for about 72 hours now. And, you know, they released the big 2.0 update for Animal Crossing New Horizons. And with it, obviously, Happy Home Paradise DLC. And after spending far too long plucking weeds from my island I haven't visited in like 10 months and dealing with the grief from my villagers about I did get to dive into a bunch of the new features the biggie is this game inside a game with Happy Home Paradise um, as you two know when we talked about last round show episode along with anyone who listened to that episode uh, I never really did the whole Happy Home Designer thing on 3DS um, it didn't have enough of a gameplay loop to entice me I was you know saying when Paradise was announced that it seems like it could have that missing piece by being a side experience within the broader Animal Crossing gameplay. So for me, at least, everything about Happy Home Paradise feels pretty fresh and new and different. And there are some cool concepts at play here. Uh, for those who haven't been following it too closely since its announcement like a couple weeks ago, basically you are hired as an interior designer for a resort town full of vacation homes. Uh, each visitor to the resort has a different theme they want their home centered around you know like cozy reading or a fireplace or lots of toys you know whatever it is you name it and then they give you a few items that they insist need to be worked into your design of their home like maybe a chair or a bed or a bookshelf and then the game pretty much leaves it up to you 
and your own devices to figure it out. Like I recommend certain types of furniture to consider. You know, some are logical, some I don't understand why they're on that list, but you also have access to the full plethora of your company's available item inventory, which expands as you keep building homes and unlocking more things. So, so gameplay wise, the best way I can describe it is that it's like the looseness of Animal Crossing through the lens of a puzzle game. Like, yes, you need to design these homes, just like you need to eventually pay off Nook's mortgage or catch all the um, fish or whatever. But there's no time limit to do any of these things. There's no wrong answers or game overs, just a few guiding principles, in this case, the furniture that's required to be used. And it's on you to take it wherever your heart desires. But also like regular Animal Crossing, I'm finding that despite all that, I still have a weird urge to actually try, like to put in some effort. Because, um, you know, you could theoretically just put the three pieces of furniture down, a rug, a bed, and be like, it's done, and it can be pretty blah. But I think maybe part of it is because you can share photos and virtual walkthroughs of every home you design online using the in-game Happy Home Network. So it's kind of like you, you want your best foot forward. But even before that option unlocked, when I was designing my first two homes, I couldn't just let myself half-ass it. I spent an hour, more than an hour, on the very first home, and I can't really tell you why. Like, I don't know what was mo- – like, the closest I can come to rationalizing it is that in the same way Nintendo makes you care about your Islanders and, you know, actually feel shame when you don't play for 10 months and want to come back and kind of get yelled at, uh, that sort of, hu- like, humanization of the puzzle assignments perhaps makes it more moving. I, d- I don't know. Like, But when I was in it, I was, like, in it. But but that's kind of the other thing, right? Like I'm talking about this motivation to do the task at hand to its fullest once within this little happy home concept. Um, and to be fair, it's a motivation that only grows as it expands on itself by introducing, you know, different elements like decorating the area outside the home, including the season and the time of day. Or you know, you can do entire new design options with the pro design tools for partitions and accent walls, and those you know come to you over time. Or how you can even like go back to characters you've already designed the house for and remodel and and adjust and as you gain more options and items and requests and whatnot. But again, I feel like this all only works if there's that initial motivator, that foot in the door to get you to check it all out in the first place. It's what held me back with the 3DS original. Um, but this time around, I am happy with how they implemented that connection back to the main game. You know, there are certainly still some differences. Uh, your work outfit you set up is different from your island outfit you know the cast of characters is different uh each home you build can be visited whenever but you first have to sort of load into the happy home paradise dlc in order to access them so it's kind of like you know there is like a step you have to take to get there but the bridge between them just feels right like it doesn't feel like a sequel or a spin-off it feels like an extension of the core experience for every home you build you know you earn these pokey to spend on items in paradise's shop with the option to bring those items back to your main island all the new design features you unlock as you continue designing homes can be applied at least somewhat back in your own main island. The access to the Happy Home Network, or at least some degree of it where you can see which villagers and uh, homes you built and photos of them, you know, that's in your Nook phone when you're on the main island. Every design menu, you know, an interface is familiar because they kind of cross-reference between what you could do in the main game and what you could do in Happy Home uh, Paradise. It just feels... I guess cohesive in a way that I didn't think Nintendo's been able to fully capture with any other attempts at expanding the main Animal Crossing like gameplay to this point. And what makes it even better is that uh, if you're choosing to also do all the new stuff they add in the free side of the 2.0 update, it's I wouldn't quite say a whole new game, but man, does it feel like it, there's a it's a refreshed experience. Like there's a lot going on. Like I was saying, you know, last episode. 
how for all the free stuff added, Nintendo cleverly did so by kind of retrofitting existing gameplay concepts and mechanics. And it's true, like the DIY food recipes are just a new use of the crafting system. Captain's Islands are just the mystery tours, but with with other variables, et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff I said last episode. But what I didn't expect is how something so simple can breathe fresh air into the existing systems as well. Like Harvey's Town Square. The fact that you need to open each shop one by one with a bell payout, you know, suddenly gives you no new motivation to do the usual methods of collecting cash, like turnip sales or planting and harvesting fruit or whatever. Or like recipes will have you go to collect fish that you never thought you'd ever want to catch again because you put it in the museum, what's the purpose? But now you have this motivation to go get these fish again. And, you know, whether or not the freebies alone are going to get you back into Animal Crossing, that's that's debatable. Like, Angel, have, has it done it for you? No. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, like, everything you described, um, yeah, it wasn't a motivator. Like, the closest thing to a motivator was maybe just different things, different types of things you used to, to, to decorate your house. Like, you know, now you have dividers, mm-hmm. you have stuff to put in the ceiling. But... Mm-hmm. Overall, like, it, yeah, it just didn't give me what I was hoping. I, I was looking for more like quality of life stuff, which unfortunately right. I feel goes against the, the inherent design of Animal Crossing. Like, as much as I appreciate someone who went through the time to make their island look ridiculously crazy and fully customized. And as much as I want to, you know, and knock on some ideas that I have. It requires a lot of terraforming, and doing that just takes way too long. I think almost too long that it just doesn't become fun. Like, there's a fine line between therapeutically chill and just tedious and boring. And I don't think it's quite in the tedious and boring side. It's, like, just leaning more on that side. And that's only because of just how ambitious, like, my ideas are for these changes. Like, Mm -hmm. I literally have to level basically the entire island and i did i got rid of like the entire third tier kind of worked through the second and yeah you don't realize how long this takes until you're actually doing it because in this game like they only remove one tile at a time and they have a full animation for every single action of it and (laughs) it just takes a long time like if i ever do finish it and i would like to yeah, it'll feel amazing because it's like, yeah, I had to move every patch of dirt, had to re, like, I don't know, I to change the river tile by tile. But damn, like, if it's not like, it's both like motivating to want to go back to finish that, but also like, I don't have time for that. There's too many other things going on and everything they added doesn't change any of this because I just care about personalizing my stuff. The last thing I really well, I mean, this is obviously just me. Like, the last thing I care about is decorating other people's homes, especially well, see, that, especially that, NPCs. Which that's what they're trying to. That's the bridge I feel like was missing the first time uh, with home designer, because theoretically, by doing these other homes, you gain access to new things for yours. It's like an unlock system, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and granted, the fact that we have to do work on the other side. other things to <laughs> unlock these other things, like. Yeah, like I, I almost kind of wish like there was a way to get these things without having to design other creatures' homes, even if it's like paying a ridiculous bill amount. I would almost rather do that. Just go back into the the stock market, if you will. But um, right, yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because you're you're basically presenting the the other side of exactly what I was saying it was kind of a good thing because I'm like, oh, they like made all this stuff work within the flow of Animal Crossing and getting you into kind of the grind again. But if you were if it wasn't that you're burned out from the grind, it's that the grind was too tedious the entire time. This no no no. Down well, I mean the the, sure. the grind to gain <laughs> the, the grind to gather resources is fine. Like I was actually enjoying that. Um, you know, like I made my millions of bells with more rich than ever I needed to be. You know, there was like no more things I needed to do. Kind of like you said, and you and like yeah, like there is a point to the fact that they now give you stuff to do with your currency, which is great. And I know for a lot of people, like they're happy about that. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, like I reached my end game. Like my end game is now just to like terraform and make my island uniquely me. And everything they've added isn't going to make that any easier or any different. Like it's not going to help me shovel faster or rethink how I'm going to do my island. Maybe the ladders that the permanent ladders is a cool thing. Like I thought like, all right, that does make it so I don't have to worry so much about as many ramps. But yeah, other than that, but that's like one in a million features. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> I never cared for Brewster. Um, the chill music he plays there is fine. Um, I mean, I mean, I like that theme, but yeah, I, I don't even drink coffee in real life. So why would I go and drink virtual coffee? Uh, re- real Does quick it- disclaimer. Uh, anyone listening that's upset by what I just says, please direct your hatred not at random Nintendo, but to at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, cause that is his and his opinion alone. Continue. Exactly, that's what it is. Just an opinion, like it. I, yeah, personally, <laughs> yeah, I just personally don't care for Brewster. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. I know he's, all, I know he's like that. Just sounded sacrilegious. Yeah, I just know he's like a big pull for a lot of people, which is, I mean, awesome that he's. I mean, the fact that he's been missing this long is like really weird. I mean, he's a part of Animal Even Crossing. Even the way you get him, by the way, they don't just like bring him into the DLC. Like again, to the kind of like the pacing of the game, you go get him. Like he, he, you have to get him, and then he comes over, and then he's there. Like, it's not just like he shows up one day. It's not called the DLC just like shows up. It's like sort of, you can get it quickly if you're, you know, if your island's high enough rated that you're past the threshold where all these things are possible. You can get it quickly enough, but it doesn't all just happen. You kind of have to piecemeal get it, which is, again, kind of to the Animal Crossing ethos, which is not necessarily the one you subscribe to at this point. Yeah, and everything else, you know, like, I didn't get Happy Home Designer, so obviously I'm not going to be stoked to play Archipelago art person um yep that that's the name of it yep archipelago archipelago well yeah i mean other stuff is just neat. like if i ever beat enough of my games to just like have more of like a not really sure what to do with my gaming side which who knows that's gonna happen then yeah that's never gonna happen then yeah i mean i'll be more than happy to like i don't know mess with recipes i mean that seems neat i love the idea of just having a bunch of different foods just out on the table I know a lot of people are going to go nuts like from Thanksgiving, just making it look like you have a big mm-hmm. feast. I mean, all that stuff is really awesome. A lot of the stuff they added is really awesome, but also it was just like, damn. Like, the only other thing that would have made me want to try out more is, um, yeah, the, you know, the town square idea is cool, but when they announced Captain, I thought like, oh, are they going to announce like Minigame Island? But there was yeah, no Minigame Island. It just felt like, oh, it's just Wilbur, but different. So it didn't even feel Yeah, I mean, it's literally... Like, it's like, you know, it's like I was saying before, like, last episode, Nintendo, there's only one actual gameplay mechanic change they did, which is Happy Home Paradise. Everything else is just kind of reskins and reconfigurations of existing assets, elements, concepts, systems, you know. Yeah, I would have loved if they made, like, if Captain took you to 
like some remote island that's just like a giant square, like with nothing on it. And pretty much let you terraform that, but it just has like a gimmick where maybe there's like an NPC or something you talk to that you basically create a save state of that piece. And then when you talk to them again, you could reload that save state. And the idea for that would be so that you could create what a lot of people are already doing in Animal Crossing. They'll create basically like a challenge or like a maze or something for people to go through like an obstacle course. But, you know, after they go through the obstacle course, a lot of the time that means that they are pretty much undoing the work that you did, which means you have to go back, dig up all the holes again, put all the items back where they were. So it'd be cool to just have like something that you can reset quickly. So if you have a lot of people that you just want to play this game with, you can quickly do so. But, you know, keep it off the main islands. So Animal Crossing can still do its own thing. But I don't know. That would be something that I would have really liked. That would be cool. But it feels like they definitely were like trying to save some broader mechanical changes for future iterations. Are there going to be oh future iterations of the game? Not so much DLC not updates. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is it. They've they've confirmed two is the final update. Yikes. Happy Home Paradise is the final DLC. That's it. So like if you're into the pacing of Animal Crossing and the speed it goes, there's a lot on tap here. If you combine the freebies with the DLC, you know even even stuff like that island newspaper feature they put in the Switch Online like smartphone app. Like it, it's not by itself going to motivate anyone to get back into the game, but when you combine it with everything else, it's this neat little like daily life log of what you did in the game that day, what the turnip price was at the time, and what events took place, and it, you can go back and look at the old ones, and it's, it's kind of cool. But again, nothing game-changing. It's outside of maybe Happy Home Paradise, kind of. Yeah. The only game-changers like you're describing are going to come probably with proper sequels. Oh, yeah. That being said, I think... um Definitely looking forward to seeing what other people come up with. I mean, I still like yeah. going to other people's islands. So I've, that's been the only real thing I've been doing when I do jump into Animal Crossing, just visiting other people's islands. So, yeah, this means more creative islands. I'm down for that. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, for the for a crowd who's willing to kind of do the piecemeal, you know, 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, or spend an hour on a house like I did, like, th- th- this update does kind of feel like the... What's that expression? Like the whole is greater than some of the parts or whatever. Cause like, yeah, there's a lot of little things, but it's all together that feels like so kind of refreshed and I'm really enjoying Happy Home Paradise, much to my own surprise. But, um, yeah, I think, I think there's going to be, it's definitely a subset of the audience, probably a decent sized one. That's exactly where you are, Angel. It's kind of like, I mean, <laughs> like things are still slow to do and there's only, you know, we're now so far removed from the game and getting back into it's a grind. Cause you do have to clean up the weeds and everything. And yeah, I, I I don't think this is going to move mountains, but I think among a subset of the Animal Crossing crowd, this is a great update for them. Me being, it seems like, one of them, surprisingly. Like, I didn't think I'd get back into it this much, but I've been playing it daily again. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so what's next on the chopping block? Uh, Yeah. The next thing would be Switch Online, actually. Is that what you mean, like, topic-wise? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, it, it only makes sense to pair it with Animal Crossing, because Animal Crossing, at least the paid DLC part, is a portion of the Switch Online plus expansion pack service. Uh, so since we already talked about the DLC, I feel like we now have to go straight into the expansion pack, you know, with the N64 and Genesis games. And, uh, yeah, Nintendo can't catch, catch a break here. Um, first, Fandra upset at the $30 price jump, which, fair, and we covered that a bit last episode and the potential reasoning behind it. But then the, the games arrived, and the reactions from some diehards were, uh, strong shall we say at least on the n64 side there you know issues 
and complaints about controller input lag, frame rate, frame rate ro woes. Wow, that's a weird tongue twister. Frame rate woes. Uh, problematic online play. You know, there's a whole litany of things people are complaining about. But Angel, you you've been playing a lot of them, right? How do you feel about it from your first-hand experience? From my personal first-hand experience, I've had no issues at all. I mean, I've really enjoyed playing it. I one of the few people that don't miss the N64 controller. I've had plenty of time playing with an N64 controller throughout the years. Um, yeah, like it's kind of nostalgic, but every time I play it, it's always it's it's always more like a oh god, we used to play with this every single time I hold it, and yeah. So I mean, just playing through the games with a pro controller like Yoshi's Story, Mario 64. Yeah, I'm just just really enjoying it, and I mean, just having the convenience there is nice. I mean. Yeah, like most of us have like a working in 64 and I'm pretty sure Jason always has his connected. Correct. But yeah, <laughs> like just, but just having their instantly available is just so much nicer. It I is can't nice. wait for them to add more stuff. I mean, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case for everybody. Like I know like a lot of coworkers that have asked about it. I've mentioned like some issues. Like some people even say that the music is like just a little out of sync in Star Fox or that some controller input issues are happening in like Ocarina of Time. I haven't noticed any of these, but I'm also like um, on a more casual side of playing this, especially. Well, yeah, unfortunately, we haven't messed with the online portion yet, which I would obviously be really interested in because I would want to play four player with some friends. But yeah. So yeah. which games did you actually play? So you, you riled off Mario, Yoshi, I guess Star Fox. Did you try like some of the more obscure? Did you like Sand Punishment? Did you do Win Back? Like where where yeah, did you gravitate? I mean, I played all of them except um, A Link to the Past. That'd be hard because that's on Super Nintendo. Wait, what? Oh, that's what we're talking about the N64 games. Yeah, A Link to the Past is Super Nintendo. Though. You mean... Uh, no, oh, you, I, yeah. I, you mean Ocarina. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Ocarina of Time, yeah. yeah. I, honestly, I keep calling it A Link to the Past. Which, which is fine because it is a time travel-based game, so you're not totally off-base. Yep, yep. Yeah, but... um. Yeah, Ocarina, I feel like there's so many re-releases. Yeah, I've, I, funny enough, like some people are always like, oh, you know, I have to play every single time it comes out. I, nope. Like I've played it like two or three times. I'm good. Two or three different ways, I mean. I'm good. Um, but so what, how are, how's Windback actually? Cause I've never, I remember it from the N64 game, uh, days, but I never actually like, tried it. Um, I'm sure. People will be very nostalgic for it that played it, but as someone that had never heard of it until this, it feels, I don't know, it feels weird. It feels like you're playing a Resident Evil game without zombies, but it's just way more fast paced. And we're talking about like an N64 era Resident Evil game with weird shooting controls. I don't know. It, I can't say I like it yet. But, I don't know, maybe the further I'll get, maybe I'll start to develop some stronger feelings for it. But, I don't know. It just feels like a weird choice. There's, I don't really see anything in it so far that stands out where it's like, oh man, like, I'm so glad they added this. Um, but I mean, I guess it is a shooter on the, third person shooter on the N64, which, you know, at the time was definitely a novelty. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm almost like, it's, I'm almost a little sad that there isn't much more to say. <laughs> um, I mean, that's fair, maybe I'll yeah. try out the European version, but that, that's one of the cool things in there is they have all the European versions, so you could like play Star Fox 64 with like the lilac 
language dialogue, which is the Super Nintendo gibberish versus like voice acting, should you choose? Like, I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, and even if I'm not the biggest fan of like the, I guess the N64 controller, like, I mean, holding a new one, it's still pretty neat. And when you connect it to the, yeah, I guess to the service, it changes like all the sound effects and like the, I guess the color scheme to match like the N64 controller's color scheme. So, you know, a lot of grays, some reds, blues, mm-hmm. and greens. It's not the same, like, plastic, is it? Because it definitely felt... Uh, maybe I'm just uh, thinking different or remembering different, but it's it doesn't to, feel like the it's same It's hard plastic. to tell just because, like, it could potentially be. It doesn't feel as smooth, but, you know, like, most N64 controllers are just worn down from, like, decades of use or just, like, oily hand exposure. So it could be that this is just what it feels like. I mean, especially the analog stick, the fact that it's um, not loose or it feels like the dead zones are gone is kind of nice because most of the 64 controllers, you know, after so much use, like just feel like they have really loose sticks. So apparently but... with that one, they actually did change the mechanism inside the controller for the stick ever so slightly. There's a guy on Twitter that I follow who, uh, I think he works for Nintendo World Report, and he's like... He prides himself on collecting, like, everything Nintendo, and he actually had this – I guess there's this thing in this 90, in the 90s you do with your N64 controller where you're supposed to essentially grease or oil the stick so it run, so it's smoother. And he took apart the N64 controller to do it with this one because he's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, make it as smooth as can be like I did with my real N64. And then he was describing in this long tweet thread how the insides are actually different. So it comes apart different. It, it, it works differently. Putting it back together is different, so it it if the stick feels different, it literally is a different system in there. Oh, yeah, which is something you know Nintendo never said, and you'd never realize if you didn't like take it apart. But this guy did, and we did a whole thing about it. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, overall, like I'm pleased with it. Um, but I do hope a lot of these like wrinkles get ironed out. Yeah. Yeah, I think before uh, I notice them. Kevin, did you but, did you play it? Did you? Because it sounds no. like you tried. It sounds like you tried the controller though somehow. Uh, yeah, I, tr- I felt the controller when I went to Angels yesterday, but that was oh, it. Oh, okay. I, no, I was yeah, because I knew that. you weren't gonna pay for it, so I'm like, how did this come about? <laughs> no, okay, no, yeah, no. that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think for for I mean, me, is it worth ten bucks a year? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Yeah, except it's not that. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Oh, well, I guess it is if you have a family plan. Yeah, so. But to the average for person buying individual, it's 50. Um, like for me, it was 50. And I also tried it. And I think what stood out is that the entire thing, and it's funny because we were just talking about the detail they went into with like the menus and stuff, but at a higher level, like just in terms of the, the base functionality, I feel like the entire thing just feels a bit more like slapped together for lack of a better word like i dabbled in only a couple games and you know didn't notice any real input lag either and online from my understanding is apparently very dependent on the other people's connection more than anything else it's not nintendo botched online it's just someone made a bad connection but just what it lacks compared to its like compatriot systems even what nintendo did with the genesis games like what n64 lacks is what really jumped out to me and you know you're talking about how the controls are not an issue for you but like the biggest thing for me is the controller mapping it like to be blunt, let's just be let's just put the cards on the table here. As much as I love the N sixty four controller, it is a wonky 
barely sensible button layout to begin with. I mean, anything that needs three prongs to let you comfortably access its buttons and you have to move your hands in different positions depending, like, that's just not the best idea if you ever want to play those games anywhere else. Like, it just, it's weird. I, I, I get that. I'm sure a lot of people get that. Like, you can't fault Nintendo for having to kind of work around that. And I assume, you know, it's why that N64 controller that you have, Angel, has sold out on the online store for, uh, you know, Nintendo Online, like, not once but twice and is now not going to be available till sometime in 2022. Like, everyone just wants that. But that's not really news to Nintendo, right? Like, they've brought N64 games to Virtual Console on Wii and Wii U. They've done special ports and games like Super Mario 3D All-Stars. You know, even there you could customize your buttons. Uh, yet here in Switch Online... You can't. You can't custom map, which has been true for every platform on Switch Online, to be fair. But playing with N64 feels weirder and stranger because Nintendo decided to do their own custom mapping per game, just not let you do it yourself. And that's what's odd to me. So among the N64 games, there are some consistencies. Like the right stick can always be used for the four C buttons, which makes sense. But then Nintendo also chose on a game by game basis the two C buttons it felt were most important and stuck those on X and Y, which I guess I get, sure. Uh, it can be a little confusing at times because like down C is now X, which is the top of the face button diamond, but I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make the ones that matter more accessible. What I do not get is why they couldn't do the same thing for the shoulder buttons at that point. Namely, I'm referring to Star Fox 64, a game I did very much enjoy rebeating, but with no help from the fact that what is normally Z and R for barrel rolling left and right is now Z, L, and R. Not Z, not L and R, not Z, L, and Z, R. No, like one side of the system has the small shoulder button, or the controller has the small shoulder button, and then the other side uses the big shoulder trigger it's asymmetrical, it confuses my feeble little brain's muscle memory, and it just adds, like, salt to the wound when you look at the L button and press it, and it does literally nothing. Like, at all. So why couldn't they just That would make too much sense, way? Jason, and we I can't know, have that going I know. It's, Nintendo. It's, yeah, it's just like, like, clearly they're okay with remapping controls on a game-by-game basics, except for that one thing? Like, what, why? It, I don't know. And I think, like I said, it just points to the whole project having this odd feeling of kind of being slapped together. Like, you boot up a game like Mario Kart 64 and you can't save ghost data for the time trials because uh, Nintendo didn't bother emulating the old N64 controller pack. It just tells you to plug in a literally non-existent accessory for the Switch. And if you try and go to rewind a game, like you can do with every other console, including the Genesis, which launched next to N64, like alongside it, the option just isn't there for N64. You can't rewind. And, you know, on their own... Maybe no one thing I mentioned is a deal breaker. And maybe even if they were and the emulation itself still had a hiccup or two, like folks wouldn't be so hard on the service. But I think Nintendo kind of compounded the issue for themselves by having this all happen at once on top of the perceived massive price hike. And there's a part of me that wonders if they just rushed into this just to make a quick buck. Like, you know, I made the crack earlier about how the expansion pack didn't even pay proper tribute to the spelling of pack with p-a-k it's p-a-c-k like maybe that was a warning sign that like they weren't looking at the small details i don't know but but more seriously like we already do know nostalgia is a huge monetization strategy for nintendo you know like retro game collection stuff like next week's game and watch legend of zelda edition which i kind of forgot it's coming out so soon creeping up out of nowhere well that's next week yeah that's the 12th yeah it's really soon that's the same week as pokemon uh no pokemon's the week after yeah Oh, and then they did the yeah. Palkia uh, special edition 
Switch this past Friday. So they have like weekly things going on right now. Yeah, that's kind of nice seeing that design return. Yeah, and, and it's it's like a metallic sheen on the console. DS. Yeah, it's cool. You just put them side by side. Looking. And that too, a nostalgia play. Like they literally recreate a DS design on the Switch. But anyway, my point is, you know, um, they're definitely like, it feels like there's like, oh, this is a quick way to make a buck because they know that works. They know how to strike the right chord with an audience that according to their own metrics is actually more adults than kids these days, which is kind of fascinating. It makes sense. But in their financials, they put up a slide showing how the bulk of the Switch player base as defined by anyone who played it in the last year, are now in their 20s and 30s. Like, they're, like, they're, they vastly outnumber the kids. And funny enough, the graph even depicts the dip around, like, 12 years old when kids decide they're too cool for Nintendo, and then a follow-up bump as they enter their college years and remember what, you know, you can, it's okay to just have fun. It doesn't have to be, like, edgy fun. It could just be fun. Um, so you could literally see that in the data. But, but really what I'm getting at here is they had the data showing a nostalgia play can make them some money, they provided an updated metric in that same report that only 32 million of the 90 plus million switches out there have an online account active. So my guess is that in the face of, you know, services being the future and sales being down to Animal Crossing spike last year, which trust me, we're talking about that later in the show. But um, my guess is that Nintendo essentially rushed this out to appease investors and cash in with what they've got. They perhaps accepted that, you know, for a more casual nostalgia seeker, which is a big part of that audience, it's fine as is at the expense of a smaller contingent of core fans having these nitty-gritty complaints about input lag or this, that, or the next thing. Uh, like, even if you look at the contrast between what you felt, Angel, you're like, oh, it's totally fine. I'm used to the controls. And what I felt where it's like, oh, I can't believe these controls are so bad. Like, there's a gamble there that Nintendo probably feels was worth taking. Um and they did, to your point about fixing things, make a pledge in their financial report that they do plan to upgrade Switch Online, regular and expansion pack. Uh, we know through data miners that there's at least 38 N64 games in- indexed in the code. There's 58 Genesis games. We also know that mysteriously Nintendo um, fairly recently convinced Germany to remove GoldenEye from a banned media list that's been sitting on for over 20 years. Apparently at the 25-year mark, the country goes through and reevaluates things, but Nintendo put in a request to do it sooner which is interesting given its impact in the N64 era and them now having Switch Online. But uh, we, we even know that Nintendo has pledged to invest a ton of money into the infrastructure and services that they provide, uh, which we'll also talk about later. But my point right now is that I bet you the expansion pack will get better. I think Nintendo just need to get out ASAP in their minds, and, well, this is basically what we got in return, this kind of weird thing that had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. And if you want to be really cynical... Which I don't even know if I want to be this cynical, but you, there's an argument to be made that it's interesting that expansion pack was only an annual membership you have to pay up front in full, but the regular Switch Online has monthly payments. And you know, if you're kind of rushing something out the door and you just want to get the money and show that it's working, forcing everyone into the annual one and being like, yeah, just trust us. Like, that's a way to do it. I'm not saying Nintendo's like being that facetious, but it, it, it's that, that is a way to do it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it, it, it's nice to have all these games. I agree with you, Angel, but it's definitely not the perfect situation. But fortunately, it sounds like the 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 road is already there to improve it. So we just have to wait and see. Yep. Yeah. But um, Kevin, you I mean, we were talking about how you didn't play this. You also didn't play Animal Crossing. Um, but we know, I know at the top of the show, you are playing the new Escape Season of Apex, right? How is that? Yes, sir. Yeah, so uh, Apex Legends Season 11, Dub Escape, as you had mentioned... Uh, update brings a new map, a new legend, and a new weapon. 
plus like a variety of like new cosmetics and of course as always a brand new battle pass. So the new map is called Storm Point, which is this uh this large tropical map. Uh closer it's it's much closer to uh the very first map, King's Canyon. But like I said, it's it's got like beaches at the edges of the map. There's wildlife. It's definitely the greenest of all the maps so far, even greener than Olympus, which was very, very green. But this is more of a natural green. Lots of trees, lots of foliage, that kind of stuff. When you say wildlife, do you mean wildlife just for, like, environmental flourishes or, like, interactable wildlife? Yeah, interactable wildlife, actually. Oh, that's uh, cool. Ooh. Yeah, so the first map brought in these... I, I forgot what they're called, but they're 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 essentially pterodactyls that carry boxes of loot. And so they brought those back for this. There's also these beasts that are called prowlers, which is also the name of one of the weapons in the game. And, uh, when you take, there's dens of prowlers. And whenever you take out a prowler, you'll be rewarded with like, uh, weapon attachments, ammo, health items, that kind of stuff. There's also little spider dens when you crack that are like, up against the walls of the map, and, like, when you shoot at them, three spiders will come out, and whenever you clear an entire den of spiders, as well as prowlers, you'll be gifted, uh, 30 crafting materials that then you can go to a replicator, make yourself some more ammo, upgrade your stuff a little bit. Yeah, so I I definitely like that aspect of the map. It's It's got a lot of varied structures, and... Very, very different architecture from the previous three maps, for sure. And one of the sticking points, or one of the talking points for this map, is the fact that uh it's huge. When you drop into the map, like when you're in the airship, you get this sense of scope that you haven't really gotten from the other three maps, from the, from the previous three maps. Because this thing is massive. Um, not only horizontally, but vertically. There's a lot of, of, uh, there's a lot of points of interest that fights will happen on essentially a, uh, a two plane, like two planes, like, crap, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but essentially, you can be fighting a team that's like right in front of you, and then all of a sudden you're getting hit from, an enemy that that's a hundred feet in the air, uh, so snipers are gonna come in handy this season. I don't mess with snipers. I know Angel's brother really loves them, so this might be his map. Right now, I'm still getting a feel for it, just because of how different it is compared to the the previous three maps. And I'm sure, like as as we keep playing, I'll, I'll get a little bit used to it. But right now, I still don't have that strong of an opinion on it. Uh, the, the season also brought in, like I said, a brand new legend at, uh, her name is Ash. She's the 19th legend, which is insane. I never thought the game would get to this point. Uh, she's another Titanfall callback character, similar to, uh, Valkyrie, which I guess she was barely a callback. She was the, she was the daughter of one of the, one of the main enemies in that game, but. Ash is like directly ripped from Titanfall, right? Like. Not like a spin-off character yeah. of it, like straight up bridge. 
Yeah, uh, Titanfall 2 character, which I, I haven't played Titanfall 2. I'm, eventually I'll get to it. But, uh, Ash was also the announcer for the arena mode. Like, she's the one that tells you, hey, you got, like, this many rounds left, that kind of stuff. Not as enthusiastic as I just said it right there, but, <laughs> no, and. She's getting to voice acting, Kevin. Um, yeah. So, her passive ability essentially lets her mark, uh, death boxes of fallen enemies, and that will mark the squad that killed that squad on the map, assuming they're alive. So, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to go in third party to take out two teams that are fighting, uh, if you have a Nash, maybe you'll want to wait until one team is wiped out, then get in there, mark a death box and see where those guys went, or if they're still around the area so that you could take them out yourselves. And you are notified if you get marked by a Nash yourself. Uh, so that way you know, like, oh, hey, we're probably going to be hunted from now on, which, uh, like, you know, as if the, playing the game wasn't stressful enough. Her cooldown ability is this uh, shuriken that you will throw, like, near enemies and will actually tether them down to wherever it's thrown. It'll also do a little bit of damage, uh, more, of, more of a trap. And her ultimate will make a one-way teleporter to a point on your screen. And it's very similar to Wraith's ultimate. As far as Ash overall goes, she seems fine. If a bit underwhelming just because her abilities feel so similar to the other legends that uh, we already have. But it'll be interesting to see if she shakes up the meta. Especially with her one-way teleporter ultimate. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, the other new thing, they brought in a brand new weapon. The CAR SMG. Short for Combat Advanced Round. It's interesting in that it can switch between heavy uh, ammo and light ammo. So, you'll always want to be picking those up, or or just one or the other. It's an SMG, so it shoots in a quick burst, and it feels really punchy. If anybody has played Apex Legends, it'll feel sort of like a, a cousin to the R99. I personally have been loving it. I've been getting more kills than I get with the R99, which is another SMG in the game. Uh, having really fun with this update so far, but I don't know if it's because of all the new stuff, or if it's because I took a break from Apex Legends. When I don't think I did any impressions for Season 10, Mm -mm. back when that released, because at that point I had been playing, what, six seasons straight of Apex Legends, non-stop playing and grinding, so I was definitely burned out. Um, but... Getting into, getting back into the game, especially with a new map, does feel a little bit refreshing. So I got my drive back in that sense. Uh, but I still have to see how much I like the new map, considering that that is the biggest draw for this season. Uh, so far, like I said, I'm having, having a good time with it. So we'll see where that goes. It just made me happy to hear that you also don't like sniping because in every first-person shooter, I never want to be the sniper. I'm no better or worse than any other type of... I, I suck at all of them, but I, I prefer the kind of more action-y thing that I think you were saying you lean towards too. So, United, yeah. we stand. Yeah. yeah. If I had any um, skill for first-person shooters, I would definitely prefer to be a sniper. Yeah, well. that does not surprise me in the least bit. in the family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I mean by that, but that does not surprise me in the least bit that you'd like to snipe. 
Oh yeah, it's just satisfying to like pop ahead from like miles and away. Track prey and but... lurk in the shadows. Yep. Well, Andrew, weren't you playing? Didn't you have a uh, Warzone for a little bit? For like a weekend. Okay, that's a little bit. <laughs> Do you, what? What is it? What you just never got into shooters? Of it. Um, not for multiplayer purposes. Um, I do like shooters that are story based. I don't know. Like, I'll play, I'll play shooters, right. but like, it's not really. I don't, ha- I don't play any competitive shooters. Like, I mean, I love Half Life. I love um, I don't even know if you could consider Portal a shooter. In the same way, you can consider Metroid Prime a shooter. I'd say. Yeah, but that one's weird because that's like that one feels almost more like a 3D platformer than a yeah. shooter sometimes. Yeah, and just that's, of the it, lock on Portal feels more like a puzzle game than a and shooter. Portals, yeah. Yeah, Titanfall there are two, two supposed to have some like the best uh, first-person campaign in a long time. Give that a shot. It's always on sale. I saw it like on sale for a dollar. I feel but like a dollar. That's a if steal. the campaign is fun, I'll I usually check those out. I mean, I've definitely played many third-person shooters, but. You know, at the end of the day, it's not that much different from a first-person shooter. You're still aiming with a reticle. Mm-hmm. Just the perspective is only what changes. But, yeah, like, they're fun with friends. I usually only play any Call of Duty when I'm playing, like, with other friends and it's, like, in a versus mode. And I know I'm going to lose anyway. Especially just because my brother's just that much better at these kinds of games. So, yeah, you know, it's... It's like a dabble. It's like if I ever want to feel like Jason, it's got to play. I was about to make that shooter. joke. It would have sound, sounded so much more innocent if it came from me. It just sounded mean coming from you. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's Unless interesting Jason's though because the then it kind of elevates it, it a little. It's, yeah, fair. Yeah. It's interesting though because you're such a competitive gamer in general that there's like this whole side of gaming that's super competitive. Like one of the biggest gaming esports is Call of Duty, and you kind of just like nope. <laughs> Like, which is totally fine. It's just, it's yeah, just kind of, it's just interesting that, you know, everyone has their preferences. It's just the late to the party thing. Cause like, actually, I can't even really use that excuse. Eh, you maybe. Can. Cause you know, like, com- competitive shooters, like, yeah, you can be really good with it with a controller, but being kind of like a Nintendo fanboy the first like half of my life. Um, not that I'm not anymore, just like it was just exclusively Nintendo. Like there weren't that many shooters. Like Metroid Prime was probably like the first first-person shooter by technicality that I think I played. I didn't even play, like, GoldenEye oh, or any of those. Um, so, like, yeah, because I, I, it just didn't appeal to me at the time. And and I know, and I started dabbling in some, like, first-person shooters on the PC, like, in recent years. And I definitely feel how, like, those controls are much better, but it's just a lot. Like, I mean, oh, I love Left 4 Dead, but, you know, that's kind of like a co-op game. Like, you kind of get carried mm-hmm. a little if you're not that great. And you also just kind of have to, like, point in the general direction and spray bullets at the horde of zombies. You don't have to have the best accuracy. But um I guess unless you're playing with other human zombies and it does get kind of intense. But but yeah, like it's just kinda like um I just don't feel invested enough to try to get good at that genre. I mean it's just like like StarCraft like or RTSs, like oh my god, like I can appreciate them because I tried playing them. But oh my god, the amount of like forward thinking you have to do and planning it's, it's chess it's mind it, it, it's mind numbing um how people do it i don't know like i feel like i can only handle like maybe two or three actions at once in starcraft beyond that it's like i just kind of freeze up and i'm like i don't know what to do anymore and the same thing kind of goes with more traditional fighters like my brain just can't really process i can 
learn how to do all the special inputs for Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. But that's kind of where it ends. Like, trying to actually formulate combos and stuff like that, it just doesn't click the way it does in Smash Brothers, just because Smash Brothers is different. I mean, it plays kind of like a platformer. It's just kind of built on that. But Marvel's Capcom is probably the closest I've gone to forcing myself to learn a genre that I normally mm. don't play, and I kind of got okay at it. But, you know, the things I'll do for Phoenix, right? <laughs> but it, it It's yeah, funny. So you're, you're, kinda... What you're describing is so similar to me in a way. Like, I feel like Nintendo, like, corrupted our brain or, like, broke our brains or something. Because, like, for me, shooters started with GoldenEye, which, you know, is a very uh, atypical on how it controls one stick. And then Metroid Prime. And then from there, I started to do, you know, like, Time Splitters and things like that, which had two sticks. But it took me a long time to wrap my head around what is considered the standard shooter control scheme. Like, I just, for the longest time, couldn't. Like, it just did not click. Yeah, because we just... Yeah, because it's not, like, indoctrinated us in this weird alternate way. And even, you know, you make the RTS reference. And, like, yeah, like, I I tried a few on PC back in the day, but, like, the first RTS, I was like, oh, man, this, like, that I actually got into was Pikmin, which, again, simplified, stripped down, like, very Nintendo-fied. And going from that into like the heavy duty stuff is like uh, it, it, it it's a, like kind of <laughs> messes with my head. So it's it's interesting how like if you were within and and you know there the thing that helped me actually transition out of in case of the first person shooters um out of that weird one control stick setup besides time splitters poorly trying to help me with it Metroid Prime Hunters you had the touch screen and the movement and that kind of I think because it was so different than sticks it kind of like worked with my brain. Yeah, everything is just so. Yeah. I mean, like even Metroid Prime Three's like motion controls, like they work extremely, extremely yeah, well. Yeah, but they're not the typical. But they're also not really the same. Like it feels like you're playing something else. Like we we were like indoctrinated but, into this weird Nintendo mindset where if it's not the Nintendo way, it doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like as much as like we love and still do Nintendo, like it almost feels like it was kind of like a cult. Oh, Nintendo's hundred percent like, for the longest cult, time. I say, like I remember, like <laughs> it wasn't until college, like yeah, like I. I had friends that had other consoles. I played some games that weren't Nintendo through them. But I never really felt like, oh, I need to get out of the console. I just felt like, yeah, the games on Nintendo consoles are are good enough or just awesome enough that I never feel tempted enough to mm-hmm. get anything else. But I think it was Little Big Planet that finally, like, there was, like, enough stuff there. But I think, t- like, Little Big Planet was, like, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Then we go, like, you know what? I'm going to get a PS3 and then... It was almost like, you know, like taking the the blue pill or whatever it is, where you just kind of like wake up and you're like, whoa, like what the hell? Like all these games have like existed this There's whole time. There's an entire like, new library of games. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was honestly, that was probably like one of the first times where I felt like literally like mind blown, just like, holy shit, like I've been missing out on so many things. Like, and then when, um, yeah, and then before I knew it, like games like Fall of Cybertron and, and, um, War for Cybertron. Yeah, War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron. That, like, you know, as a Transformers fan, like, I wouldn't have been able to experience that on the Wii. There was a version of that, but it was an on-rail shooter that wasn't that great. But, you know, on the other consoles, you get full-on 3D movement as a third-person shooter. You could, like, zip into the air as a jet, transform mid-flight, snipe someone out, then transform again, and just, like, escape. It was just the most awesome thing ever. And then, you know, just playing, like, like I mentioned, Marvel's Capcom 3 and then Mortal Kombat and, you know, then eventually discovering like the God of War franchise and going like, whoa, like I didn't know I liked super action-y games and then, you know, getting introduced to Bayonetta before even getting it on, you know, the Wii U mm-hmm. or whatever when 
I eventually played it. But yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It, it's and then obviously now like dabbling more with PC stuff since I built a PC. It's like I'm getting games that aren't available in either. Nintendo but, is absolutely a hundred percent in a way a cult. <laughs> like I mean, it's very you know it, the the fan base is very tight knit. I mean, it's not cult in like negative sense, but it's very tight knit. It's very like its own little world. It's like you know with me, you guys know I don't really play much outside of Nintendo. I'm aware it's there, but like I'm, I like this like little Nintendo sphere. But they take care. The, the funny thing is that they take care of you pretty well because like. The thing is, like, having many different platforms available to you, which I totally recommend, like, if you have the spare time and maybe disposable income, like, definitely get a different console. Just yeah, to Ron Horizons. Experience those things. Cause, like, honestly, like, because, yeah, like, Nintendo is definitely worth that for, like, party stuff, but I'm definitely getting, like, my fill with, like, first person stuff on, like, my PS4 and just, like, some other wacky, weirder stuff on PC. But, yeah, like, if you just have, like, when I just had, you know, the 3DS and the Switch or whatever, like, the two pairing the handheld or just the Nintendo consoles, Nintendo did a pretty good job of, like, spacing out their games just so you always have something to play. There's, like, always something to buy, but you never feel overwhelmed. And it almost feels like, you know, they're, like, feeding you at, like, they're a spoon feeding consistent you. rate. Some, like, sometimes oh, there's on. bigger gaps. Yeah, like, like, sometimes oh. there's droughts. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I'm done with this game. Yeah, like, yeah, there were some droughts, but for the most part, like, when there wasn't something on the... On the console, there was something on the handheld. When there was something on nothing on the handheld, there was something on the console. And you did have to have both, otherwise you would really suffer. But now it's like, you know, games from multiple franchises are coming out at the same time because, you know, Sony doesn't care if you have yeah, of a course. Switch or Xbox or blah, blah, blah. So that's when it does get overwhelming, and that's when I, I could see why people have, like, the biggest backlogs ever that have multiple consoles. I, I do remember but, in high school, my yeah. friend was like, I'm getting an Xbox and Halo, and we were, like, Nintendo buddies. Like, I was, like, not horrified is <laughs> a strong word because it's not the right word, but I was definitely like, what? Like, you, you somehow escaped the the latch in the ground and, and got out of the cult? Like, how how are you doing this? But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing... I need to inform the Supreme one. Yeah, but, um... To your point about, like, you know, there's so many more games. It is interesting because I think the Nintendo – in a way, I think the Nintendo – I wouldn't say it's fading, but the fact is there are 6,700 games available on Switch. Nintendo put in their financials, and half over half of all games sold are now third-party. So we are starting to, like, move in the direction of, uh, you know, people maybe seeing there's <laughs> there's a world beyond Nintendo while still on Nintendo, which is – I think the Wii had that a little, but like sales wise, it was still so dominated by Nintendo. But now it's, you know, like I said, over half the games are not Nintendo anymore, which is interesting. It's indie, it's third party, it's a mix. And, and even for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not at the level you are, Angel. I didn't like, I'm not like jumping into PlayStation. That's madness, but I do have a play date pre-ordered, which is kind of like someone trying to do a riff on what a Nintendo experience is. So we'll see what that does in terms of opening my eyes, but. But Kevin, you're you're the opposite. Yeah, right? but that one food feeds you games. Yeah, slowly yeah, yeah. I have to peel the bandaid really slowly. Like... But Kevin, you're kind of the opposite, right? Because you you played everything from the start pretty much, right? Like you didn't start with Nintendo work up. Uh, I mean, technically, yeah. My my first console were Nintendo consoles. Uh, I think my first third party thing was crap. I don't remember. It was the Dreamcast or the PS2. But uh, we were definitely younger when I mean, you. Yeah, did I that. technically worked my work. You're definitely younger when you jump to those systems than like Angel and I were jumping to, or Angel really, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And like my PC, I I just got into PC gaming when Overwatch came out. When 2016 or 2017? Yeah, so. Right, right. 
work my way up. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, we should just do a series. <laughs> we just turn the podcast into like stories of escaping the Nintendo cult. Like we just get random guests on, like tell us about how you broke free, how your mind was freed. <laughs> but in the meantime, I mean, I'm still part of it. Oh yeah, me too. Like me I'm too. doing this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> and obviously Angel is, and obviously it's like I'm you just can't it. escape the cult. Yeah, no, it's yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just more fun to be a fan of more things because you know then you have way more things to be excited about like i i'm happy that i still get those like oh my god it's like such an awesome announcement from nintendo as i do from like other announcements from other like platforms right. now i think but, for me like when i yeah. especially now that smash brothers announcements are over like <laughs> you, yeah, you need, need to those. scratch that itch yeah though yeah though those were a consistent like string of like whoa even if there were characters which is crazy because they were consistent but. for like three years and if you count the wii one they've been consistent for so long and now we're at a point where sakura is literally saying i don't know if there's gonna be another smash yeah nintendo directs aren't gonna be as exciting anymore because usually you knew there was gonna be a smash announcement or on the, the flip end, side angel hold it all together no expectations anymore maybe there will be exciting things that you didn't think would be exciting before because you're waiting for something bigger oh no 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 like <laughs> okay. it's gonna be hard to even bother like like, like, should I even bother watching it? It's like, there's gonna wow. be a Smash Brothers, so, like, wow. what's even the point? Like, literally, what, like, like, what, give me one reason. Like, give me one reason me? right now. Give you a reason? I'm not Nintendo, I don't know you anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's like, no, that's like, give me a reason to even bother checking out well, the Well, that's Nintendo stuck to Nintendo future. to prove to you, not there's me. <laughs> like, what am I gonna tell you? Okay, here's a reason, Angel. You're on a Nintendo podcast. You need to talk about it. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that, 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 that's barely it, but, acceptable. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, I but yeah, it, it's fun because like you were saying, you know, it's cool to be a fan of more things. But I, I feel like, Kevin, we talked about this on our episode last week, random non-Tendo, but not non-Tendo. It was JK with Jason Ken. How like, you know, when I'm a fan of something, in, personally, when I'm a fan of something, I'm like all in on it. So like, I don't think I could successfully become a PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo gamer because then I'm going to like want to do a two-hour conversation about each announcement from each company every week. And that's... That's a work day's worth of audio at that point. Not doing that. So. Well, at least you'll try mobile games. I, I dabble. And again, I am getting a play date. Nintendo published, play right? Date, so. Which I swear, that sentence sounds like I'm like, uh, yeah, I made a friend, you guys. I'm going on a play date. But like, I, it's a it's a little system with a crank is what I'm talking about. But um, but anyway, that, that was kind of a, a bit of a tangent. But unless there's any sense what I said on that topic, I do have one final game I wanted to talk about. Um, Pikmin Bloom. So should we move over to that? I guess. Um, okay, I'll thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, guys. I appreciate your support in this time. Uh, but yeah, Pikmin Bloom. Uh, you get ten minutes. I don't know how long I'm gonna go, but we'll see. I will say though, I I am surprised by it. I mean, one surprise was just the fact that it popped up out of nowhere. Like it was Pikmin's twentieth anniversary. There was the game. You know, we knew this vague Nintendo Niantic partnership existed, but we went from like zero to sixty in terms of being a press release to a finished release mobile game. And it, it, it's nice when you don't have to like wait for something. It's just like here's Pikmin, you just jump in. But I think the bigger surprise is what Pikmin Bloom turned out to be. It's actually a pretty like passive kind of light experience in contrast to games like Pokemon Go. I mean, it certainly draws inspiration from Go. But I can I can trace back lines to all sorts of projects from the Nintendo side of the partnership uh, as well. It's it's kind of that old thing I always say about Nintendo that they never give up on an idea. Like they keep tinkering with it and reworking it and figuring out new ways to present it. So in Nintendo Ease, the way I described this game would be a cross between personal trainer walking for the DS, some aspects of the virtual walks in Nintendogs, 
and the old Pokemon Pikachu devices, which if you don't remember those, years ago we did an extra on RamTown.com um, where I explained the ins and outs of it. We'll link to it in this blog post for anyone who's interested in the history lesson. But in layman's terms, what I'm saying is Pikmin Bloom is a cross between a gamified pedometer and a virtual pet. So the basic premise is that there are these tiny invisible creatures in our world called Pikmin. Uh, don't ask how that fits into the series' previous established lore that Pikmin inhabit what amounts to an abandoned Earth. Maybe Bloom is a prequel very early in the timeline, in which case it's weirdly morbid to play a game that is essentially telling us we're all going to die and these things will live past our our uh, race's life expectancy. But either way, the core concept is that these little guys can help us beautify the world, but they need our help doing it. So you need to collect Pikmin, take care of growing their little leafy heads into flowers, collect their petals, and then use their petals to plant flowers everywhere you walk. That's the, the baseline. And it sounds like a lot of work, but ultimately what's driving all of it are your it steps. Every, what was that, Kevin? Oh, that no, it does doing. sound like a Sorry, lot of work. I just assumed it was Kevin for some reason. But anyway, yeah, it, it does sound like a lot of work. Yeah, worth the fun, Jason. Worth I'm the getting fun. there uh, at some point. <laughs> no, but every basically every step you take places a flower where you've been walking. It grows these additional Pikmin out of seeds that you plant in your backpack, which, again, I don't know why you're wearing a backpack full of soil. You just kind of roll with it. The game doesn't, like, logically, it's not as, like, structurally sound as how Pokemon works. But either way, as you walk, like in a real Pikmin game, your little Pikmin pals follow you around and offer you things as they find them. Uh, the most common thing they find is nectar, which you then turn around and feed your Pikmin uh, with to grow their little leaf heads and flower heads. You know, each Pikmin can churn out, I think it's six petals, um, but it's one at a time. You could change the color based on what type of nectar you feed them. You know, different nectar colors being more or less common uh, based on what fruit your Pikmin find and bring you as you explore the world. But the beauty of all this is you don't need to be running the app every time you want your Pikmin to do something for you. The game actually hooks into both iOS and Android's health apps and location services. So you can just close it, do your thing, and then later in the day when you choose to boot it up, it'll let you know what you've done, where you've been, all that's imported. Even, you know, when you want to plant flowers, you have the option to do it at increased rate in the app. You hit, like, go, but then you could close the app, and it'll just run through whatever flower petals you have, and it'll stop on its own. You really don't need to, like, pay attention to it in real time. And and doing all this, in terms of where the fun is, doing all this, planting flowers, Pikmin growing, you know, all that, uh, that nets you a few progress markers, and that's kind of where the, like, gameplay comes in so you can level up to unlock new aspects of the game like mushrooms that your pikmin can fight or uh earlier on the ability to send your pikmin on little expeditions to fetch fetch you seeds and fruit and things in your area without needing to necessarily walk there yourself um and you can also earn up to i think it's 30 coins a day uh to spend in the game shop for things like extra detectors which let you see what items are visible around you or increased storage for things like your petals your nectar and your pikmin um of course that's also where the monetization comes in but uh, you can choose to you know, spend real money to buy coins. But like Pokemon Go, I haven't found it to be really all that intrusive at all. And also like Pokemon Go, there are some more active elements should you choose to partake that lean pretty heavily on teamwork. So at designated landmarks, kind of like gyms in Pokemon Go, there are these big flowers, quote-unquote, that require a lot of petals placed around them to bloom, at which point you're rewarded with some special items. In concept, it's neat. Um, but man, do they, do they need to expand the range of acceptable flower placement just just a hair like i was at a wedding right after bloom came out and one of the spots at the hotel we were staying at had a big flower so i was trying to like low-key sort of pace around for the 180 petals i needed to to lay there but i couldn't go more than like 25 or 30 feet in any one direction and because then it wouldn't count them towards the big flower 
which I have to imagine was like incredibly awkward for whoever was on the other side of the window of that hotel room where I was pacing in circles. Cause you know, it's just this dude outside staring at his phone, literally walking in circles right in front of their window. And it somehow, I don't know, it somehow felt worse than just standing still when you have to do a Pokemon Go gym battle. I think the fact that you do need to like move, um, which is great for the purpose of the game and for long term, you know. Hmm. Stuff. Almost sounds perfect for me because I already you pace, pace like crazy. Anyway, dude. Yeah, you you would. This game is for you. But um, but yeah. So that's one of the more active things you could do. I mean, I do make people feel weird because people do point it out. Yeah. So just like embrace it and and grow some whatever. flowers and beautify the world. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah exactly. To work. But so that's one yeah. of the more active things you could do is those big flowers. Um, the there's also another social aspect. Um, that's kind of a mix of active and passive. So you can do these big flowers together in, in person or. Just by turning on the uh, share with others or walk with others option, you can have your me show up with their me's on your screen. So if you're going on a walk with a friend or something, you can walk side by side and have your little me's and their Pikmin on your screen as you kind of walk around. Again, you need to be running the game to do that, but it's kind of a neat thing. And if you choose not to run the game, just have it in the background, one cool thing is everyone's flowers as they walk around beautify the world together. So if you and others in your neighborhood are all playing Bloom independently, even with the without like actually running the app in real time on your phone, um, you'll see the progress collectively of what everyone's doing, which is where things like, you know, picking different flower colors can come in because you can see, oh, the blue ones were mine probably and the white ones were his probably and that sort of thing. They also brought over um, the gift system from Pokemon Go if we're talking about social things. But here it's postcards. So as your Pikmin come back from expeditions, you send them on by themselves uh, they may have a snapshot of them visiting the location that you can then add to this collection of, I think, up to 300 postcards. And they can send the postcards to your friends or people on your friends list. And what's kind of adorable about it is they overlay the Pikmin into the photos on the postcards. So it's like, you know, the if you remember in Pokemon Go, they had all these kind of Google Map-ish photos of landmarks. Pikmin are, like, climbing on stuff, doing stuff. It's more adorable than not. I've seen on Twitter a couple examples of 9-11 memorials being on postcards with Pikmin all over them, which is a little awkward. But for the most part, it's kind of a cool little feature. Um, and again, it doesn't really do much. It's just kind of a fun little social aspect. Um, but even if you choose like not to do these more active aspects, the game just serves as kind of a fun record keeper of your daily activity. Like This is where it feels the most like uh, personal trainer walking because that was a step counter for your me that gives you kind of a daily log, as does this, only now it also does things like it imports photo highlights from your camera roll should you choose. Or... You know, it has a map of your location. It doesn't know just how many steps. It knows where you went. It can show you that daily. You can go through a whole log. And the game, you know, even when you boot it up, will tell you in real time if you're ahead or behind uh, your past day's activity levels. And there's a whole calendar of your past activities that you can browse. And on top of that, what's neat is kind of like in the virtual walks of Dogs. even when you boot up the app, let's say you only check it once a day at the end of the day, when you boot up your app, your little Pikmin will surprise you with gifts or fruit or nectar or whatever it is they found. Like when you were walking your dog in Dogs back on the DS and as you walk, suddenly he shows up with a gift. So there's all these like different little pieces of Nintendo history kind of shoved into this experience. And it makes for a very chill, charming way to basically at bare minimum gamify the movement you're doing anyway. And they do pretty well capture the spirit of Pikmin and how they kind of, you know, you boot up the app, they're lounging around on the screen. They're doing that little pose they always do where they're leaning on their hand. Uh, if you send them on expeditions, there's a little jingle and you can actually at any time look at your expedition party. And there could be multiple. But you can look at your expedition party and it'll show you exactly where they are in their walk. So like the wing I went to is in San Luis Obispo. So I have a bunch of Pikmin seeds and fruit and stuff from up there that I obviously am not walking to. But I can send my Pikmin to get. And I can boot up the game and it'll take like, you know, a day and a half for them to walk to 300 miles or whatever. But I can press the little expedition and it'll show me exactly where on that 300-mile journey they are. And they're doing their little marching sound effect. And there's like a little fanfare music and... It's, you know, silly, 
but it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, so for me, it's just been like a very pleasant experience. Like I, I, it's a weird word to use for a game, but it's a very pleasant experience. Like it just serves as a complementary thing to everything else I may be up to. It's not something that's actively eating into my playtime of other games or anything. It's it's just you know good to check towards the end of the day, see how my Pikmin are doing, collect the items, send them on their expedition. If I choose going to walk, I can make it more active then, or I could just walk anyway, and it'll still reward me after the fact. Um, the game seems to even just encourage those daily check-ins and not make you have to feel like you always have to play it because around 9 p.m. it sends you a little summary alert with a summary video of all your activity that day. You can rate how your mood was that day. You can pick which photos you want to include in the log, and it kind of does this nice little presentation package of here's how your day went. And, you know, if, if it happens to also get me a walk more because maybe I want to bloom a big flower I spot nearby or whatever, more power to it at that point. Like, it's just this neat little, like, app more than a game. But because it is so lax and laid back and kind of depending on you just doing your own thing, I do think its appeal is going to be a lot more limited than something like Pokemon Go. I mean, first of all, it's not the most intuitive game out there. I mean, think about how long I had to explain how it worked just to say it tracks your steps. Like, there's this and there's these flowers and there's a big flower. And like, like Pokemon Go is obvious in what you do. You look for Pokemon, you catch them, you battle them. Like, everyone gets that. Pikmin Bloom doesn't have quite that straightforward of recognition or mechanics. Um, and that may hold it back from like go type mass appeal, even with the Nintendo name attached to it. But you know, maybe, maybe that's okay. I think like for the longest time, quote unquote, AR games as a genre were defined by essentially Pokemon Go's gameplay, right? Like you have to be actively looking through your phone at this alternative world, actively trying to capture or conquer something. And no game has come close, anywhere close to the success of Go because it made sense for Pokemon, but maybe not for Harry Potter or Minecraft or Settlers of Catan, which is definitely the most random of the bunch. All those made a pass at the concept. Some of them were by Niantic. All have been shut down or announced to be shut down. So I think Pokemon Go, Go ultimately was kind of like lightning in a bottle, and I think it's proven that it really was lightning in a bottle. I mean, granted, it's lightning still striking within that bottle like five or six years later. The game apparently made like $1.3 billion in just the first half of 2021. But like... Is that realistic Damn. for any AR game beyond Pokemon, with or without Pikmin? I, I can't imagine that any game is going to do it the same way or be as successful. And there's no doubt in my mind that Nintendo knows and accept it, accepts that, and Pikmin is not trying to be that. It's just something different. Like, it honestly feels like a parallel to me to the Animal Crossing situation Nintendo's found themselves in. Like, to sort of force us into the news portion of the show, um, you know, we talked, I sort of dropped not so subtly how they came out with their financial report for April through September and mentioned a few stats from it, right? And perhaps unsurprisingly, sales are down 19%, profits are down 24% year over year. Um, and seriously, how, how do you counter a return to normalcy after Animal Crossing buoyed sales so high? Like Switch hardware sales were down like 40% because, you know, there's no cultural touchstone of a release like New Horizons was. Um, and Switch is still doing great. 90 million systems sold overall. It's on track to probably top the Wii's overall sales by the year uh, year's end. But in terms of that percentage drop, that 40%, it's it's not a good look. But something kind of interesting happened there, and I think this kind of relates back to how they're approaching Pikmin. In the same report uh, where Nintendo said these numbers were down, they adjusted expectations for the remainder of the year. So due to the chip shortage, they're now expecting Switch hardware sales to be lower by 1.5 million, 20, from 25.5 to 24 million, which, yeah, makes sense. You know, COVID's messed things up so much and game products are so up in the air with you know their releases it's par for the course that it's gonna happen i mean just this past week alone marvel's midnight suns shovel knight dig and overwatch 2 were all delayed 
Which, Kevin, man, I, I feel like the gaming gods didn't like you with that one, because Midnight Suns and Overwatch 2 were ones you were looking forward to, weren't they? Uh, Midnight Suns, yeah, I, I have no interest in Overwatch 2. Really? That that game is also never coming out. I don't know why anybody deludes themselves into thinking that that game is ever coming out. <laughs> but aren't they doing next year's Overwatch League with Overwatch 2, like in beta form or something? Uh, I have no idea. I've stopped following Overwatch League. I dropped hard off of Overwatch like crazy. Maybe it's because what, Blizzard it themselves Apex? doesn't... Or uh, because of Apex and because Blizzard, once they announce Overwatch 2, they're like, alright, Overwatch isn't getting any more content updates. So now... That's four years without brand new, uh, it's gonna be f- almost four years of no new that Overwatch sucks. content, which they could have just worked on Overwatch instead of working on Overwatch 2, but, uh, you know. Think of all that money left on the Activision table, Blizzard. Too. Yeah. Yep. Which is so weird because they're so what good at monetizing. To, uh, ruin the game. <laughs> and that's hyperbolic, but. Yeah, that sucks. What a way to wait, wait, it's delayed. Your game, along with. Yeah, it's delayed along with Midnight Suns and, and a bunch of others, and, you know, Advanced Wars, like we were talking about last episode. But my point is, you know, the reason I'm saying, oh, all these delays, they dropped the hardware number, etc., is so they dropped the hardware number, you know, the chip charger is to blame, their sales are down because of missing Animal Crossing, but their profit forecast, they didn't change that, Nintendo. Their software sales forecast, it went up by $10 million to anticipate $200 million. And I think where I'm going with this is like with Pikmin on mobile, I think you can directly point to like a varying software library of bigger and smaller releases as to why Nintendo thinks they still have a win here. Like, I mean, if you look at just April through September, Nintendo had 14 first-party titles that sold over a million copies. It's a mix of new and evergreen titles, but in the same way Pikmin Bloom can perhaps sit alongside bigger games like Mario Kart Tour and Pokemon Go, we're seeing something like Metopia sell, you know, 1.37 million copies alongside Skyward Sword HD, which was able to sell as many copies in 10 weeks as the Wii original sold in its lifetime, something like 3.6 million. And those two are happily sing alongside the equivalent behemoth to Pokemon Go, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which just became the top-selling Mario Kart ever and Nintendo's third best-selling game of all time with um, 39 million copies, which, personally, I couldn't think of a more deserving Mario Kart than 8 Deluxe. Like, that, that's that's the pinnacle of the series in my mind. I don't know how you guys feel. Wait, it wasn't it was, So if you combine the Wii U oh. and the Switch ones, they were... But if you look at just Deluxe, like as a single skew, it is now the best-selling Mario Kart of all time and third best-selling Nintendo game of all time. I feel like I've heard this before. It was on the cusp. Mario it's been Kart on the cusp. Deluxe I mean, it's, it had to sell 3.3 million copies this past fiscal half to get to that point. But it's been, you know, sitting in the 30s, getting very close for quite a while. Yeah. Well, It, it feels like Mario the one Kart that deserves it, right? Like, it's awesome the best game. one. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So... So yeah. those 14 million sellers, though, as in, like, 14 games that sold a million or more, the reason it was possible, I think, and the reason I think it's now being parallel with what Nintendo's doing with Pikmin is because the foundation's laid, right? Like, the market for Switch is mature. Um, in some slides Nintendo's put up in their financial briefing, that will link to on the blog post for anyone who wants to really dive into them. There's, like, 50 pages of them. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about this already, but the Switch has over 6,700 games. Half of them are third party, like we were saying before, not Nintendo's own games. And it's how we keep hearing these success stories, of which I've been collecting for like three months through this very moment, of how like Ninjala has downloaded, been downloaded 8 million times. Pac-Man 99 has hit 5 million downloads. Slime Rancher had its best launch on Switch, even though that version came later. Pokemon Unite has 9 million downloads. Like there's an audience, it's receptive, it's proven, and you can have different scales of success. And I think 
with Pikmin, Nintendo's starting to realize that's true on mobile now too. They don't need to have a Pokemon Go. Like AR games could be more than just Pokemon Go in terms of concept and scale and scope and size. And I think we're at the point where Nintendo seems equally interested um, in Switch. Kind of like if you look at like they're sort of like hearing a phase two with all this stuff because we're seeing like on the Switch side, you know, Nintendo seems equally interested now in not just convincing people to buy a Switch but having people re up into the Switch ecosystem. You know, in in their slides, they didn't really mince words that they want households where each kid has their own Switch Lite. Like, literally, they point out how their goal went from one Switch per household to multiple per household to now one per person. And, you know, they want the enthusiast core to double dip with the OLED model, which does seem to be working. In the UK, the OLED model had a much stronger launch than the Switch Lite did, which, you know, You want to talk sense. about Nintendo Colts. Nintendo mm. literally wants you to indoctrinate all your children with Switch lights. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep, they they know because they know if they get them in early, then that that stat I was mentioning of the ages, like how it's more adults. The reason there's more adults is because it's a compounded pile of every generation of kids that grew up with Nintendo and then just now has the nostalgia for it and keeps buying Nintendo. Like it, that. I don't imagine a world where the kid market is ever going to be bigger than the adult market in terms of sales simply because there's not enough kids compared to the generations of Nintendo fans now that are adults. It's crazy. But but yeah, they, you know, they seem to really be looking at not just how do we do a thing, but how do we like double down or or extend the thing. And it kind of makes sense if you look at their 2021 release lineup. You know, my favorite E3 talking point this year was the idea of them trying the Switch bump in a bunch of different ways with so many different games. And this kind of puts that in better perspective, right? Like they have a safety net. They know they have an audience. Uh, one of the stats they shared in their slides is that among those 90 plus million switches out there, 79 million of them have been played by someone in the last year. That's a lot of folks games could appeal to. Honestly, a smaller group of lapsed players after Animal Crossing than I expected. Like 79 out of 90s. Pretty good. But um, yeah, it's just, it really seems like Nintendo is hitting this phase where they see opportunity to expand ideas, not just try and start ideas. And what stood out to me even more is not so much the money they made or even the lack of money they made on things like WarioWare, which sadly didn't sell enough to even get a mention in their financials. So RIP Jimmy T and friends. But but buried on like page 43 of a massive slide deck that I was talking about, uh, Nintendo re-outlined their whole IP first strategy. And uh, there's this breakdown on page 43 of how they plan to spend their money beyond typical hardware R&D which is something they've never really talked about before. And it's telling in light of what we've been talking about this episode. Because first, there's 100 billion yen, or about 881 million US dollars, that are going to be spent on internally developed games and the expansion of those capabilities, which could very well include, and Nintendo's not shying away from this, it could include acquisitions, kind of like they did with Next Level Games earlier this year. So right off the bat, there's the idea of just more games overall, like I'm kind of saying. Like, not just one big blockbuster, not just one Animal Crossing, but kind of the inverse of, like, death by a thousand cuts. Whatever lifts you by a thousand heels, I don't know. But, you know, multiple things for different audiences now that the base is so big. Um, then the second thing they're doing, there's this 50 billion yen or $440 million investment that's going to be dedicated just to software towards, quote-unquote, non-game entertainment, including a specific call-out to what they dubbed as visual content. I don't know about you guys, but this one seems kind of interesting to me because it lines up with what we've already seen in motion outside Nintendo's game development of late. Like, just this past week, two established partnerships that would rely on this both seem to move past this idea of just trying it out 
to now firmly being like, this is a foundation we can build upon, which is exactly what it looks like they're doing with mobile, exactly what it looks like they're doing with Pikmin, and, or not Pikmin, with Switch. And now here we have it already in the non-game entertainment section too. One was kind of lower key, but it was the announcement of Lego Luigi. Um, on Halloween, no less, they announced that they're doing a Lego set for Luigi's Mansion. Um, it's piggybacking, obviously, off the Super Mario Legos, so you're using the same Luigi with the animations and the sensors and all the software that Nintendo helped build. Um, but now it's about capturing ghosts, and there's going to be different sets from, like, 30 bucks to 80 bucks, and it's all out January 1st. Um, which, on the one hand, it's just really cool to see Luigi's Mansion finally get its due. Like, I feel like this series, it's been slowly building, but, like, I'm just happy that it's now, like, a big franchise. I always thought I had the potential in the GameCube days. Yeah, I wasn't... Yeah, like, I'm not planning on buying these either, but when I saw the announcement, I was like, oh, right? that's cool. Yeah, and it's just, like, it seems... Like, it seems yeah, like yeah. it's in a way both, like, is and isn't a big deal. Because, like, you know, Luigi's Mansion was, like, this B-tier property for Nintendo for so long. Like, I remember in the GameCube days, it had one piece of merch in the form of a figurine of Luigi sucking up a ghost. I still have that somewhere in my parents' house, actually, but... um, I still wish I could just buy those figures independently like just yeah. the mario without the yeah set, i agree i'd love to have one just on the shelf. Set. yeah and then you can interact with it with your lego oh yeah TV yeah because you could put them on the lego nes and it plays music and angel you when you pick it up yeah. can uh from me can interact with it with your uh question mark block lego set that's still sitting in my living room because um it also does stuff if you put mario on it yeah i, I still can't wait to read that excerpt, like, I just know the sentence starts with, we know the question mark block didn't appear in Mars 64. Oh, like in the manual? Like that. Yeah. It's so interesting yeah, how the they, manual, like, acknowledge like, so, like, it and plowed like, ahead anyway. <laughs> I mean, it is an iconic symbol from the game, so I get it. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to make one block... Yeah, it's not going to do the red wing hat the block. block, but... It would have, but no one would. Have, I guess they could have done Metal Mario, that's a bit more iconic. But it's still not the question mark block. You know... It is Legos at the end of the day. Like, who's to stop me from looking at the steps after I build it, replace it with a bunch of red ones, and you just, know like, who's, make it? You, you like, know who's going to stop you? Father Time. There, there's no way you're going to have the time to do that. You have too many things going. Remember your favorite motto? Not enough time in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So you have to find and things that, worth that doing is, with it. Okay. Actually, which, that'd be really cool, honestly. I, I feel like it is. Feel like it is. Unless I see that someone already did it on the internet, which is very possible and probably already done, then I would probably be satisfied just seeing well, what Well, first things like. first, you need to dedicate the time to come get the thing from me because <laughs> it's been sitting here for a month. But then, yes, you should do it. I agree. Um, but yeah, no, my point was like with Luigi's Mansion is like this is a franchise that's been dormant from GameCube to 3DS. Then it had this huge Switch revival. It's still selling like 700,000 copies in the months covered in this financial report. Like, it's cool that Nintendo like built up this franchise as something bigger. And the fact that it's now getting its own Lego line, I feel like speaks both to the success of the revival, but also to Nintendo's own success with, you know, broadening beyond pure games. Like, clearly the Mario Lego series is selling well enough with more sets announced for Mario 2 just the other day, like after the Luigi announcement. And now they're able to, like, go into, like, the B-tier games or the B coming up on A-tier games and do Legos for, like, Luigi's Mansion, which, you know, a couple of years ago, that would not have been a thing. Or at least it's not something Nintendo probably would be comfortable with. But as the market matures, as this new segment of their market matures, like, the option open up, and it's kind of cool. I mean, the other example of the non-game entertainment thing, picking up momentum, isn't quite confirmed yet. Uh, but there's been rumblings that a spinoff of the Mario movie is already in development with Donkey Kong as the lead voice still by a somehow not a fever dream Seth Rogen. 
So the root of this rumor is a report by Giant Freaking Robot, which is apparently a news movie, uh, news movie, movie news website uh, that had correctly sourced inside movie information before. It's been corroborated by another insider this time on the Nintendo side who has been talking up big plans for DK that included a movie, which now this is saying, the theme park, which was, you know, accurate, and that rumored new game we talked about earlier in the year from uh, Nintendo Tokyo. Really, really just there seems to be this huge celebration of DK's 40th that is happening a few years too late. You know, the movie, for example, won't be out till 2024. So four year, three years after his anniversary, but nonetheless. But the idea is... I mean, it'll still be You're right, it'll be his 24th. Like only... Or I mean, not 20. Wow. It, it'd be his 43rd. Yeah. I mean, it's not a... You're right. It's always number, an anniversary. But, you know, it's still an anniversary. Every day's an anniversary in some way. So if you ever need a reason to celebrate yeah. anything, just it's an anniversary of something. But anyway, yeah, the idea of the movie is that's going to tie into the Mario movie, but perhaps also tell a bit more about DK and his family, which could mean, you know, Cranky Kong and his still very inspired voice actor choice of Fred Armisen might be in it. But it also opens up so many casting possibilities for everything from Candy Kong to Lanky Kong to Tiny to Dixie to, I don't know, like Diddy. I saw someone online say that Michael Sarah would make Pratt a for all of them. Yeah, that's probably what's gonna be gonna happen. I know. <laughs> now that he's Garfield, but someone online was saying like Michael Sarah would make a good Diddy Kong. I was kind. Of, it took me a second. Like I was thinking like Woody, and I was like, actually, against Seth Rogen, yeah, that that would be pretty good. I could get behind that. Um, is there anyone besides Chris Pratt you may want to see take on a Kong? I not at the top of my think. head because all these like character choices are so out there i think like the just in general like the voice i'm most look most looking forward to just seeing on screen is um kevin michael richardson as how we were talking about this last night how yeah just because how deep like that guy's voice is and how like shrill Kamek mm-hmm. normally sounds in the game then you think it'd be more like a suit like a suiting vo- yeah. yeah it'd be a voice that suits bowser more of anything but you know it the the juxtaposition right. will be fun to watch yeah i i there's been a but, lot yeah. of um seinfeld playing in my apartment of late so when i saw this news i for some reason couldn't help but think of jerry seinfeld as lanky kong which like lanky's probably more of a kramer than anything but there's just something about seinfeld and his sarcasm that fits lanky kong's like vibe i don't know i i can't quite put my finger on it but for some reason and i know b movie exists and it's horrible and that was jerry seinfeld voice acting i understand the pitfalls of putting Seinfeld in any animated movie now, but something about Lanky Kong just feels like Seinfeld. I guess I don't, I don't know, know what I would. <laughs> I guess I'd like. I guess I'd like to see Danny DeVito. He, he needs something. it at this point. They I should give him. Um, would be great. Like one of the yeah, I'd just say King, King K. K. Rule or just uh, one of the Kremlings in general, like just a henchman. But like he's been circling around these Nintendo yeah. things for so long, at least in the rumor mill. Um, I mean, really, the most exciting prospect. Tommy Chong even, as Funky Kong. That's beautiful. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, Tommy man. Chong. Chong. You may also know him from that 70s show. I think that was Chong on 70s show, right? Yeah, that was Tommy Chong. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. owner of the record store? No. He Wait, was yeah, the isn't owner he? of the photo hut. Oh, whatever. I knew he owned a shop. He worked at the record <laughs> store with Hyde. Yeah, old stoner dude. But him as Funky Kong yeah. is, yeah, that's... Oh, man. I barely watched that show, but I just have a blurry idea of what he, he looks, looks like, like human funky kong but uh, <laughs> he looks like well sorta actually funky kong's a little uh, more surfer okay. bro ish but if they age him up a bit it could totally be tony chong that's that's yeah. perfect um but yeah i think i think the other thing to consider yeah. if they do a, more, a donkey kong movie like beside the point i was making about their expansion plans like um 
that means there's a soundtrack, right? Like they do these licensed soundtracks where they like get all these big artists to contribute, you know, Pokemon just doing Pokemon 25. Like we can get a legit DK rap performed by like actual established rappers. They'd have to keep the lyrics, of course, but like they can like do what TMNT did with Shellshocked or what Fast and Furious did. Basically, they could get Wiz Khalifa, I guess is what I'm saying, because he does every movie soundtrack. But, like, there could be a mainstreamification of the DK rap, which is both horrifying and amazing if it happens. But that might be They'd the most get, they prospect. Would, they would absolutely get Mr. Worldwide to do it. They would You're get right. Pitbull. It, it would probably be Pitbull featuring Wiz Khalifa, is my guess, because Wiz Khalifa's on every movie soundtrack. <laughs> and also, weirdly enough, Juicy J is on a lot of stuff. I'm basically thinking of Shellshock from TMNT, but the DK rap. That's all those people. But you're right. Pitbull would 100% be on it. We're going to get one rapper to do each Kong. That's terrifying. It's really terrifying. It makes me not want the movie, but at the same time, I really can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but yeah, like stepping back from the agree of what the movie would do or could do. Again, the idea here is that Nintendo, we're at the point where Nintendo's not seeing movies as an experiment in the same way they were before. We're sort of in like a phase two of their plans with the focus now being on making more of them and more importantly, you know, investing a good chunk of change, like half a billion, into helping make that happen. Which, you know, for Nintendo, again, it's a big step from what they've been saying up to this point. Like even in the Q&A for the financial briefing, which I think just came out with translations like right as we went to record this, you know, Miyamoto was on record saying, yes, we want to do more movies. Like this is, we're not going to do them all at once, but we're going to like one by one dive deeper into it so again Nintendo's moving ahead with these plans and then there's the final bucket that Nintendo mentioned uh, of how they're going to spend a bunch of this money and it's coming in at a whopping 300 billion yen which is 2.7 billion dollars and that's to do what Nintendo puts it as uh, maintaining and expanding relationships with customers which is very vague but when you go into like the examples they give it's the Nintendo account system. It's partnerships with outside companies like Niantic. It's subscription services like Fixing Switch Online. It's infrastructure for those services like Fixing Switch Online. It's all sorts of back-end stuff. And immediately, you know, that addresses... Man, hopefully they fix Switch Online. Yeah. And immediately that does address the conservative singers this episode. Like, here's how they can do it. Here's the money towards it, a lot of money towards it. But a bigger piece of this puzzle, in my mind is the other service it's maintaining, Nintendo accounts. Nintendo revealed that in their financials that there are 250 million Nintendo accounts worldwide. A quarter of a billion people have Nintendo accounts. And these are from dedicated devices, these are from mobile games, these are from signing up experiences like Super Nintendo World or, you know, kind of more ephemeral pop-up events like E3 or Comic-Con. Even just Nintendo's online storefronts, like if you buy something from store.nintendo.com, you need a Nintendo account. And what Nintendo seems to be really focused on is, again, sort of moving past the first pass of all these ideas. Like, we're seeing, okay, Super Nintendo World got people interested. Let's do a DK expansion. Uh, we're doing partnerships with companies where you can use a Nintendo account to do stuff. Let's expand that. Like, did you know, if you go to Amazon right now, if you're reading Amazon, they have a page about Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shine Pearl. And if you get to the bottom of it, there's a My Nintendo thing that gives you 100 coins just for being on Amazon and looking into that product. Like, it's, it's, they're doing all these different weird things. And, you know, they're continuing the growth of store at Nintendo.com. Now it has merch. They are saying they're going to expand physical stores, which is kind of cool. Um, like in tandem with the financial report, Nintendo announced plans for a second Japanese store in Osaka, which got some headlines. But, um, I feel like buried further in that was the more interesting thing, which is Nintendo says they want to expand their stores in general. 
I don't know if we're talking like full Disney store style chain or something a little more boutique like, but nonetheless, like that's that a big, cool. yeah, that'd be super cool, right? Cause that's a big move. Or maybe Nintendo. they just mean like expansion or like more Nintendo stuff, like a Target, like a. Honestly, they probably like mean both because all this money they're talking about, like that 300 billion yen is going towards every sort of partnership. So all the IP stuff they're doing, which is ramping up, like there's collaborations all the time now. Like it's, it really does seem like they are. At the point where, like, okay, this worked. Let's keep going. And you know, even because up to this point, even as a, their own retailer, it's just the eShop. And then, like, parts. Like, if you need a part for your Wii U, you could get like a battery cover for the gamepad or something. But now, like, store.nintendo.com is like a full-on storefront. Everything you get at the Nintendo Store in New York, most of the things you get in Nintendo Store in New York, are now available online too, which is something fans have wanted for a long time. But Nintendo's actually investing in the infrastructure to make it happen. So. It's potentially a very major play for them to do all this. And again, it's, you know, one of those things where a few years ago they said, well, we're going to try this out, this whole IP expansion thing. We'll see how it works. Like, we'll see if this plan to turn into an IP first company amounts to anything. But now I guess they've seen it works and they're in a phase two. And um, to evoke a theory I had back in the early days of the IP expansion really ramping up, not my theory. It's kind of an obvious one. I'm not trying to say I'm that creative. I'm not. But they're going full Disney. Like, this is the moment. They're doing it. They're in. So, so that's my spiel. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to talk about, like if you're into this change or not. Um, but it's nice to know that at least it doesn't seem like anything they're doing at this point is going to hinder why we're here in the first place, which are the games. They're still investing nearly a billion in games. This is all in parallel to that, which is great. Yep. But yeah, that, that was my spiel. I think that's also pretty much all the news sort of wrapped up within that spiel. Yeah. Yeah, look, look at that. that. Look at that framing. So I guess, unless you guys have any other topics, we can leave look it there. That. You say that they're going full Disney, but as long as... Uh, that can be very bad. Yeah. But, but as long as they, they don't mess with the IP laws, we should be all good. True. True. Yeah, if they don't start... um, <laughs> Well, Mario, fortunately, is nowhere near the 100-year mark yet, so we'll see where that goes. But or you're talking, Oh, you're talking about the lawsuit with Marvel, huh? With the Kirby family and stuff. Nope. Oh, never mind then. But yeah, because Disney's trying that too. They're, I guess Jack Kirby's family is saying like, hey, he created these characters. We should get a slice of it. And Disney's going, well, no, he created them under contract with us. So we get the full pie. And they're trying to basically yank any creative control out from the family, which I think was already not there. Because when you do work for an employer, you basically say anything you do on your time with that employer is the employer's property. But yeah, they're doing a lot of shenanigans around IPs right now, for sure. Or were you referring more towards how they're trying to protect Mickey? Uh, pretty much that. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, Mario's nowhere near that age yet. But, yeah, so... Well, in, in time. time. Yeah, in and time. I'm sure... And Nintendo can be just as ruthless if they want to as Disney. I mean, 80s Nintendo, when they were going up against Universal Studios over the King Kong lawsuit and stuff like that, because they could be pretty... And, like, you know, doing their first-party yeah. licensing of for other companies and stuff like that, but they were pretty ruthless. So we'll see if they have that ignorance or if they've learned from those mistakes. But everything sounds good on paper. So so with that, I guess we'll leave it there. But next episode, next one's a party. Um, maybe not the random Nintendo we're doing during our off week. Uh, that That's going to be just usual non-Nintendo stuff, and it should be out around November 14th, barring anything I've foreseen. But I mean the next random Nintendo on the 21st of November which will actually be marking the podcast's 10-year anniversary. And there ain't no party like a Mario party, party, 
So we're going to be sharing impressions of superstars, um, along with hopefully some fun anniversary-oriented surprises that may include some giveaways. So to make sure no one out there misses that, I recommend all of you um, follow and subscribe to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Nintendo. You subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, uh, Amazon Music, uh, others. <laughs> there are others. Um, we're also on YouTube. Ramtel.com is the name. Uh, and if you're there, if you're on any of those things that can rate us, you know, we're coming up on 10 years. If you've been listening to us for any chunk of that, you'd probably like us enough to maybe give us some stars, maybe even five. I'm not, not going to force it on anyone, but it'd be great if you maybe did. Just saying. But but yeah, that that's pretty much it. Uh, we're, so we're back in two weeks. Uh, you can follow us individually in the meantime. If you want to hear our thoughts on anything, I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Andrew is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore on Twitter. Kevin is KV and go me on Twitter. I almost botched your name there. KV and go me on Twitter. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. If there's anything else, Kevin, final word, I guess. Good night, everybody.